Turn, if you will, to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Paul is writing to the Galatians to defend the truth of justification by faith. To defend the gospel. And as you read the letters of Paul, and Galatians is absolutely no exception. We see it very clearly this morning. But as you read the letters of Paul, you see the passion with which he argues, the passion behind his writing because of what is at stake. For Paul, the most important things in his life were the glory of Jesus Christ, the glory of God, the truth of the gospel, and the churches of Jesus Christ. These were the things that were the passions of Paul's life above anything else. And so when we read his letters, we see the, what is at stake, the importance of what Paul is defending. The church in Galatia had come to faith in the gospel. They had come to know Jesus Christ, but now it was under attack. It was under attack by a group known as the Judaizers who were trying to add to the simplicity of the gospel, the keeping of the Old Testament law. Uh, The gospel of Jesus Christ, if you know the truth, is more than sufficient for salvation, more than sufficient to reconcile us to God and to give us that fellowship with God. And not only, and this becomes important as we look at our passage today, not only that entry into our salvation, that entry into our relationship with God, but it's faith in the gospel, it's grace working through faith that is the power, the engine behind our sanctification. And the Judaizers tried to add to the simplicity of the gospel saying that no, faith in Jesus Christ is not enough. There's things, the Old Testament laws and commandments that you needed to add to it. This became a very serious issue in the church of Galatia. In the churches of Galatia, you see it not just in, with the passion that Paul writes, but what we looked at last week, Peter. Peter even became influenced by the actions of the Judaizers. That should really have gotten our attention as we've looked at this letter to say, wait a second, this issue had become incredibly serious. This wasn't just some fringe group that had a minor influence. This was a group that was eating away at the spiritual health of the church. Verses 20 and 21, I'm just going to read them quickly, but I think they present a good summary for us of what Paul is defending and the problem here. In verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. See, there's the simplicity of the gospel. And you recognize there, it's not just about salvation. Critically, it is about salvation. That is a, not an issue not to be minimalized, but it's not only about salvation. It's about the entirety of the Christian life. Paul talks about there, the life that I now live, my ongoing existence is Jesus Christ living in me. I do not nullify the grace of God. 
For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Wade did a great job last week of just walking us through the incredible implications of those last four words. Then Christ died needlessly. Just to say that feels incredibly wrong. But that is the significance of what happens when we try to add to the gospel our own merit, legalism, trying to earn God's favor through our completely inadequate, sinful works. It's not a minor issue. It's not something that perhaps could impact the gospel, it completely destroys it. That's what Paul from chapter three on is gonna continue to drive at defending. He's gonna do this from a a bunch of different angles in a bunch of different directions, uh, primarily using the Old Testament and the scriptures, defending the truth of the gospel. But in verses one through five, he, he sets the foundation for this defense from a little bit different perspective. It, he goes back to the Galatians and he's trying to draw them back to the simplicity of the gospel that they first believed in. These were people who had come to faith through God's grace, working through their faith in the message of the cross. And they've heard the gospel, they've believed it, Paul is calling them back to what he knows. He's gonna do this with five rhetorical questions. We're gonna look at verses one through five this morning. In verses one through five, each verse has a different rhetorical question through which Paul is emphasizing to them some truth. These are rhetorical questions. They are loaded with a point that Paul is making. Paul's not seeking information here. Paul's not trying to learn something about the Galatians. He's trying to get them to learn something about themselves, to reflect on what they already know, to reflect on the truths that they have. And this is the message that he is trying to emphasize for them. The entirety of the Christian life is by grace through faith. And legalism never enters into the picture. And it's the entirety of the Christian life, not just the point of salvation, not just the entry into the Christian life, but the entirety of it. That from salvation to the moment of glory, it is the power of God working through Jesus Christ that makes it all work. Salvation, sanctification, and glorification. And like I said, verses one through five, each one of these uh, we'll look at and breaks into a different rhetorical question. I'm gonna just go ahead and read all five of these for us and then we'll look at them one by one. Starting in verse three, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I wanna find out from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? 
So then does he who provides you with the spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? This first question he asked them in verse one, the point he's making here is you are not thinking clearly. You are not thinking clearly. He wants to point out to them that their, their vision, their thinking has become distorted. He says in verse 1, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? It's an interesting way for him to start the chapter, right? You foolish Galatians. It's pretty different than what we're used to hearing from Paul. What kind of words do you think or do you, do you think of when you think of how Paul usually addresses his, his hearers? Beloved, brethren, blessed, saints, like even the Corinthians, they had some issues. Go read Corinthians. But even them, you know, he addresses in saints as saints. Here he says, you foolish Galatians. And the word there, foolish, the Greek words, it's not about their intellect. He's not saying you unintelligent Galatians or you ignorant Galatians, you stupid Galatians. He's not saying that. This isn't a a personal attack. The Greek word there is about distorted vision, not thinking clearly. When he says you foolish Galatians, he's saying you who are not seeing and thinking clearly. Who has bewitched you? Not, not some mystical thing, but who has put this spell over your eyes that this very truth that you initially received, you are now unable to look at clearly and think clearly about. Who's put this disorienting spell over your eyes? It was before these very people that Paul had so passionately proclaim the gospel, so clearly proclaim the gospel. I mean, we get excited if a pastor, you know, Tom came last week. So many people are excited to see him. Imagine the apostle Paul is coming to preach. Paul was the one who had publicly portrayed Christ as crucified before them. They had been, uh, they had been preached to by one of the greatest all-time preachers in church history. Yet their vision had become distorted. Somehow these people had gone from accepting the simplicity of the message preached by Paul to trying to add to their salvation through their own merit, which if any of us are realistic about our own merit, we know it's not very good. Even our best acts are riddled with sin, littered with sin. And so Paul is really just dumbfounded. How did you go from the simplicity of the message you received to trying to earn God's favor or even thinking that God's favor could be earned through legalism, through your own works? Paul's incensed. He can't believe it. And, and so you're taking this dumbfoundedness of Paul, but you're mixing, him with, mixing that with the things he's so passionate about, 
the glory of Christ, the glory of the gospel, the message of the gospel, the church, his love for the church. You're, you're, it's creating this powerful concoction where you see the emotion of Paul, just you foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? How is this happening? And so now we see Paul's approach here. He wants to draw them back to what they originally believed. He wants to draw them back to what they already know. Often when Paul writes, you hear him talk about, I don't want you to be unaware. Let me teach you something. <laughs> let, me, let me explain something new to you. People, the churches, they'd get questions to Paul. And this is what the Corinthian letters are very much about. Paul's responding to those. Okay, let me answer your questions. This passage is somewhat unique. Paul, he's definitely teaching, but he's doing it by drawing out of them what they should already be aware of. So he uses four further questions to draw them back to these fundamental truths. Uh, just putting on display, highlighting is front and center what I told you or what I brought up at the beginning, that salvation, sanctification, ultimately our glorification, the entirety of the Christian life is by grace through faith. And there's no point at which we try to introduce our own merit. Legalism at no point becomes part of the equation. Rhetorical question number two in verse two. The point he teaches them here, he starts with the foundation of salvation. So he doesn't stay with salvation, but he starts there, the entry into the Christian life. And so he starts with the Holy Spirit is received by grace through faith. Verse two, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? He draws them back to the beginning of their spiritual life because salvation starts when the Holy Spirit enters into the life of a person. That's the point of salvation. The regeneration, before that you are spiritually dead. Before the Holy Spirit is given to you by the Father as a gift by his grace, you are spiritually dead and hopeless and there's nothing you can do. But the moment the Holy Spirit comes into your life and infuses faith, brings what is spiritually dead to spiritually life, at that moment, you become a Christian. At that moment, you become a child of God. If you are a believer, then here's something I can 100% guarantee you, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Romans 8, 9, Paul says, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. That is clear. There's no mystery to what Paul just said there. If you don't have the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit living inside of you, then you are not a Christian. That was the entry point for the Galatians. It's the entry point for every single one of us. And the point Paul is making here is that it was through grace, by faith or by grace, through faith alone, that that infusion of the Holy Spirit came about in your life. First Corinthians 2.12, 
we have received the spirit of God that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. We have received the spirit of God. The Corinthians again, were not really the upstanding model when first Corinthians was written to him at least of what a church should be. Yet even them, Paul says, they have the spirit of God so that they can freely know the things given to them by God. So when it comes to the Christian life, you are either a Christian or you're not, you either have the Holy Spirit or you don't. There's no other way about it. There's no halfway point. There's no second giving of the Holy Spirit. It's not like you get a little bit perhaps, and then if you work hard enough and you really focus and apply yourself, you can graduate to a further level of Holy Spirit indwelling. No, there's nowhere in the Bible that we get that indication. There is what we'll talk about in a minute. There's, we do all submit to the Holy Spirit within our lives at different levels. So there is a different level for each of us in which through our Christian maturity and sanctification, we've come to submitting to the Holy Spirit that is within us. But the Holy Spirit being within us fully, 100%, there's no, there's no wavering there. And how does this happen? Paul's point that he is making throughout the letter of the Galatians, the point that he's gonna, again, from so many different levels as we move forward in the, lever, in, in the letter, uh, use the scriptures to defend and support is that this is by grace through faith. We did nothing to earn it. That has some implications to our evangelism too, right? We're called to faithfully proclaim the gospel but to those we proclaim the gospel, we do it in full reliance and in full prayerfulness, knowing that it's only gonna be God's power that ever saves anybody. It's the only way we are saved and is the only way anybody is saved. So with these verses here, we really start at the foundation. Before Paul moves on further to the sanctification aspect and the growing aspect of the Christian life, he starts them with salvation, their entry point. It was through receiving the Holy Spirit through faith. But the question for us is, okay, now once that entry into relationship with God takes place, how do we build upon that? Is that where merit is gonna become a consideration? Does legalism have a place there? And I think for us, and I don't know, this could just, be me talking, but I think it could be for a lot of us. I would guess in this type of church, and I would hope, most of us are very comfortable with the idea salvation is by grace through faith alone, right? Like if somebody starts to teach something else in this church, I can promise you the elders will usher them out very, very quickly. But here's, I think, a temptation I have, and I would bet a lot of people have. It's very easy, even though I know differently, on a day-to-day basis, as I start to think about my relationship with God, to start to fall back into habits of legalism. Habits of thinking, something went wrong today. Did Did I make God mad? Did I do something wrong? 
Or, you know, I've got a big assignment coming up at work. I don't want to make God mad. I better earn his favor, right? Like, I better, like, even though I know that is the incorrect way to think, I can easily fall into the temptation of thinking it now that I'm building my, growing in my Christian life, building upon this foundation that, uh, that, that we've started, maybe I should start to try to earn God's favor through my own merit and legalism that way. It's a temptation that we have where we start to think um, much more like the Judaizers if we're not careful. And so the, the point that Paul is making here in verse three is so critical for our day-to-day lives for us to realize that it's not just salvation, but the ongoing process of sanctification. Uh, our third question here in verse three, the point Paul makes is sanctification comes from growing in faith, not legalism. He says in verse three, are you so foolish having begun by the spirit Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Are you gonna try to introduce your own merit now as you start to think about your relationship with God? The answer what Paul would have is we shouldn't. As we grow in our faith, it continues to be the power of God's grace working in our lives through faith that grows us. And praise God that the Christian life is about growth, right? That he doesn't simply save us and then leave us where we're at. But he saves us and from that point into eternity transforms us ongoing into the likeness of Christ. And that process is never perfected on this earth. We all remain struggling with sin and just fighting the battle with our flesh here in this earth. But there's a process of growth and it's the Holy Spirit working through us, using the word of God to grow us. When Paul talks about sanctification and growth in the Christian life, the main tool that he always points us to that the Holy Spirit is gonna use through this process is the word of God. Colossians 3.16, Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And you go look at the Old Testament, look at how the word of God was treated in the Old Testament, Joshua 1, 8, where Joshua is commissioned to meditate on the word of God day and night. Psalm 119, where it talks about, and Psalm 19 and Psalm 119, where it talks about the influence of God's word in our life. This isn't just a New Testament concept. From the beginning of the Bible to the end, the word of God is the primary tool that God uses to shape and mold his people, but it's not our legalistic keeping of God's word that does that. It's the Holy Spirit working through God's word so that our hearts and our minds continue to be transformed where our growing love for God and our growing reliance on the Holy Spirit is what transforms our outward actions. Do you see the nuance there? 
it's not us looking at, okay, what are the rules I need to keep? And I'm gonna just, just grit my teeth and do it as strongly as I can, even if I hate it, you know? No, it's the growing love for God that we have as we grow in our fellowship with him and our, our growing reliance in allowing of ourselves to be influenced by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That is what produces it. Colossians 3.16, Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, the corresponding passage, Ephesians 5.18, so Colossians and Ephesians, Paul probably wrote similar setting uh, with each other. And so there's some decent parallels there. And a corresponding passage to Colossians 3.16, he puts it this way to the Ephesians, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the point he's making there, the Greek word for filled there would be the same word they would use if you're talking about the sail of a ship being filled with air, being filled with the wind. The Holy Spirit in the Christian's life is to be the driving force. It is to be the engine of the Christian life. And so the process of sanctification, the process of growth for us as followers of Christ is not legalism. It's not earning God's favor or growing in our relationship with God through our own merit. That's a way we can be tempted and easily think, but the reality that Paul gives us, that New Testament gives us, is that growing in the Christian life is submission to the word of God, submission to the Holy Spirit through what he's teaching us in his word. This is what grows us in Christ's likeness. This is what grows us in obedience to Christ because it grows us in our love for God. When you love somebody, you naturally want to do the things that they've called you to do, that, that please them. But the driving force then becomes just your love for them, not trying to earn their favor, but your love for them. As, as you grow in this love for God and in this submission to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit naturally produces obedience in your life. It's just a natural outflow. It's the work that God does. It's not a legalistic following of the law. I remember one time at work, we were taking a test. And if we got below an 80 on this test, we were fired. And so I look over to this lady to the left and like, she's got her credit card out. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I, I, I do. I said, what are you doing? Like, are you shopping? She's like, no, I'm giving money to the church so that God will let me pass this test. And I'm like, man, I'm trying to keep my job. I don't have time to get into like a theological discussion with this lady, you know? I'm like, that's just, is it right to give money to the work of God, to support God's work in the church through missionaries? Absolutely. Absolutely. Are you, why are you doing that? Are you doing it to earn God's favor? Because that's patently unbiblical and impossible. Or is that giving driven because you love God and the Holy Spirit has compelled you that these things that we have in this world are not our own. 
I never saw this lady again. So it is sad, right? Because you think not only does she have the bad theology, but like how does that now, the fact that she failed, like what did that, does she think like, well, I guess God did, I don't know. I don't know. But even though that's kind of an extreme example, I, I focus on this because I see these tendencies sometimes even in my own heart from a day-to-day basis where I do something and I think, oh, I bet God was pleased. And I'm like, wait a second. No, yeah. anything good I can do is still gonna be riddled with sin. And it's not through my own legalism or my own works that I'm ever going to merit God's favor or grow in my Christian life. I came into this process by faith. I'll continue to grow by God's grace through faith. And what the Judaizers were promoting here through their legalism was a futile effort to pursue this sanctification through works of the law. That's what Paul was so upset about. A few more verses here. Philippians 2, 12 to 13. I think this is a great passage because what I've been saying here, the fact that we rely on God's grace and we rely on the work of the Holy Spirit, does that mean we just sit back and do nothing? Like it's an osmosis kind of thing? Like, eh, I'm just gonna sit here and wait for God to grow me. No, because remember what I said, this is about, it's the Holy Spirit's work, but we're called to submit to that work, to pursue that work, to to lay ourselves before God and say, hey God, I'm yours, here I am, change me into who you want me to be. And he's told us he's gonna do that through his word, right? So I love the way Paul puts it to the Philippians. Paul says, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, he marries these things together, he says, Work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. He's writing to the Philippians. He's already told them he's confident that God's going to complete this great work that he started. He's writing to people who he writes to them, hey, you are Christians. So he doesn't say work for your salvation, but this salvation that you have, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's everything you've got. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Your growth, your sanctification as a follower of Christ, God's, that's God's number one priority for your life. Pursue it with everything you've got. Just don't ever do it in reliance on your own capabilities. Ephesians 2, eight to 10, I'm just gonna read that for us real quick. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We're giving ourselves over to the work that God is doing in our lives. I think of Colossians chapter two, verses, kind of verses 16 to 23. I won't read all of this here, but this, this error of legalism, it's a common error that we fall into as humans. So Paul has to address it often. And to the Colossians, 
He's Colossians chapter two, talking about this error of legalism. In verses 16 to 19, he goes through some common ways that this error will manifest itself through asceticism, religious observances, religious rituals, eating regulations, various things like that. so many different ways as people that were prone to try to earn God's favor, thinking, hey, if we do these things, we're going to earn his favor. But look at what he says in response to that in verse Colossians 2, 20 to 23. He says, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why is if you are living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement, severe treatment of the body, but they are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Do you see what Paul's saying there? Legalism, what the Judaizers were promoting Sure, it looks good. Does it look good to be given money to the church? Sure. Does some of the various ways that people come about uh, doing this legalistic thing look good? Yeah. But does it change the heart? No. Only the Holy Spirit working through the word of God changes the heart. That's why Paul says, these are of no value against fleshly indulgence. It reminds me of Matthew 15. Jesus had a lot of run-ins with the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees were kind of the precursors to the Judaizers. In Matthew 15, the Pharisees were like, hey, Jesus, why don't you and your disciples here follow our rules? In this case, it was particularly about the washing of hands before they ate not something commanded by God, but a tradition that they had added on to the commandment of God and their legalism. They said, Jesus, why don't you follow our rules? And if you read Matthew 15, the, to sum up Jesus' response, it's because your rules do nothing to change the heart of man. The problem with the heart is sinfulness. Your legalism does nothing to fix the problem. We have a heart problem and a heart issue. The message of the gospel starting at salvation is that our hearts are changed by faith in the gospel. And the message of the Christian life, this process of sanctification is that the answer for our ongoing growth continues to be faith. It doesn't mean we do whatever we want. The Bible's as clear as can be about that, right? Our memory verse this month is a church, Galatians 5.13. I can't do memory verses in front of people because you intimidate me, so I will have to read it. (laughs) Galatians 5.13, you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You look at Romans 8, Paul talks about the work of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. We'll talk about that here in a few months. As we submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, 
he says the work, sorry, where is it here? The fruit, starting in verse 22, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. You see what he's saying? As we grow in our, the Christian life isn't about memorizing laws and applying yourself to these laws. It's about applying yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, growing in your love for God and in faith. And it by nature produces these things of which there's no law against those things. So to summarize the first three rhetorical questions here, Paul's calling them back to what they originally believed, to what they know, that salvation is by grace through faith, but that's not just the entryway. Grace and faith is how we continue to grow in the Christian life. And throughout this whole process, we're not introducing human merit, legalism at any point. Legalism has no place. In verse four, he reminds them, God's work in his people is not in vain. And he reminds them of this with this question in verse four. Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. The word suffer there, some different translations, and I think a more appropriate one. And in fact, my Bible even gives an alternative here. Did you experience so many things in vain? But Paul, I think, is leaving the door open here. No, you didn't. If indeed it was in vain. Paul's leaving that hope there. Look, return to these truths. And you did not experience them in vain. God's work and the life of a believer is never in vain. It's never a work that God reverses or lets go of. Once you are brought in by faith through grace or by grace through faith uh, to be a child of God, there's no reversing that process. Uh, Our salvation is secure just as much as your work played no role in obtaining your salvation, your work plays no role, can can play no role in losing your salvation. And he gives them, we'll move quickly to verse five here to wrap it up. He gives them a summary here. Verse five is another rhetorical question, but essentially he's summarizing all these things together, repackaging them because this, these five verses are really a launching point into what Paul's gonna do through the rest of the letter. This is kind of a transitional passage, if you will, where Paul is drawing them back in saying, okay, look, you're confused. You've gone foolish here. You've been bewitched. You're not seeing things clearly. So let me recenter us by bringing you back to what you know in these five verses. And then starting in verse six, what I've now recentered you on, I'm gonna show you this is what all of scripture supports. So that's kind of the context of what we're doing here. So he's gonna have this summary, verse five. So then does he who provides you with the spirit 
and works miracles among you. Do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith. Does God who provides you with this salvation, who provides you with this sanctifying work, who does all these things. I mean, we see it's not just in our own lives. One of the gifts of being a part of the church is we see God's work through all of us individually. I mean, I don't know how many people are here, a hundred people. There's a hundred different individual works of God going on in each of our lives at every moment, but also corporately, right? Like North Lake Bible Church experiences the work of God and the church globally, we get to witness the work of God. That's one of the great things about church history and an important piece of studying church history is it helps you see the ongoing power of the gospel and the work of God. So we see it in our individual lives. We experience it individually. We see each of us getting to experience it. We experience it corporately. Does God do this by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And the answer is clear. The point Paul is making throughout Galatians is very clear. It is not by the law, but it is by hearing with faith. It's submission to the gospel. They know this. They've been led astray by the Judaizers. Paul's calling them back. And next week, we'll start on verse six, where he says, okay, this isn't just something I came up with. This isn't just something you know. This is something that from the beginning, God's truth has pointed us towards. But the question for us, where are we? How, where are we in our relationship with God, first of all? Because that's where it starts. It starts with that entry into salvation. That, as Ephesians chapter 2 would tell us, by nature, we are enemies of God. God created us to glorify him. He created us for the purpose of fellowship with him. But we willfully choose to rebel against that. We willfully choose death separation from God. But in his love, God offers us salvation. He offers us redemption. And there's something natural in the human heart that knows there's something wrong with our relationship with the creator. But the natural human way tends to be trying to earn that relationship back. So look at the course of human history and the various religions that people have come up with throughout the ages. They're all about what the Judaizers were promoting. How do we earn God's favor back? But it's the gospel of Jesus Christ alone that Paul preached that says, you can't, so give up. Instead, Jesus Christ came He lived the perfect life you couldn't live. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. And he was raised on the third day and lives today next to the father, making intercession for those 
who would put their faith in him. Christianity is the solitary religion. And Paul's gospel is the solid, solitary message in all of human existence that says, no, we are made right by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and somebody who paid the penalty for us. So there could very well be some today here in this room who they need to get in that entryway. They need to get in at verse two, that you need the Holy Spirit. And maybe you're tempted to do, do it the way the Judaizer said, or the way people throughout history have tried, but you can't. You must be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. That was the standard in Leviticus and Jesus reinforced that standard in Matthew. It, and you can't be, right? Throw yourself on the grace of God. For us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, if you're like me, sometimes you can, be, you can think, you know, I need to try to do something to earn God's merit, to earn God's favor. It's a temptation. We have to recognize and say, no, my job is to submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Give yourself to that work daily. Like Paul said, work out your salvation. Now that you have it, work it out with fear and trembling. That's with every bit of your being. We're consumed with so many things in this world. None of them come even close to the importance of God and your relationship with God being transformed by him. Work out that salvation you have with fear and trembling realizing it is God who is at work in you. I forget the rest of the words because you're looking at me. <laughs> to will for his good pleasure, you know, because that's what he wants. It is God who is at work in you to change you, to shape you and mold you. Give up trying to earn God's favor through your own merit because I don't care how well you do something, there's gonna be a tint of sin to it. It's just part of being human but instead submit to the Spirit's work in our life through his word to grow us in faith and love, and it'll produce the fruits of the Spirit. It'll produce that obedience. Next week, verse six, like I said, he's gonna turn to Abraham and he's gonna say, look, this isn't just something I came up with or that you know, but it's what the scriptures show us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your love for us and the fact that you work in us in this way and you don't leave us to some frustrating and futile effort to try to earn your favor, but you just call us to submit to your work in our lives and to trust you and to love you and to seek to do our best and to glorify you with the different things you bring into our lives. And when we inevitably fall short, you offer us the grace we need to have ongoing fellowship with you. And we just thank you for your goodness and your love. And I just pray that as we go into the next hour and we uh, get to worship you more and worship you together, that um, those things would just um, motivate, drive our worship of you. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.